Welcome back to Insights, an Amplify original. I'm Nicole McLean, bringing you insights to empower executives, HR professionals, managers, and leaders of all kinds with the best-in-class information to help your employees achieve their true potential. There are many things on our minds as we think about the state of the workforce post-COVID. Questions are being centered around key themes like re-entry, future of remote, and strategies to continue maximizing remote productivity. To lead us in this discussion, we have three experts who are excited to share with you all. First is Holly Delaney, the Chief People Strategist at Zappos.com. Next is Ron Lovett, an entrepreneur who employed over 1,500 security guards across Canada, a venture which eventually sold at a 24x multiple. And finally is our own Adam Weber, Amplify's Chief People Officer, who was recently named to Business Insider's list of rising stars in HR. We're going to start the conversation thinking about reentry, specifically going into the tactical aspects of implementing employee feedback. What are they? And what aren't we thinking about that we should be? Adam kicks us off by sharing his thoughts. I think for us, feedback is the foundation of our decision-making from our employees. And and I think both Ron and Holly said it really well. I mean, when it's the very first thing they're both saying, right, it it really shows that as a leader right now, I'm not sure there's anything more dangerous than making a decision in a vacuum. And I also think it's dangerous to, like you said, make decisions at the top and the bottom of the spectrum, the loudest voices, that middle majority, understanding what, what is the, the common voice of our people so that I can make an informed decision, I, I think is really important. It's questions like, some in and many call every every business is different too. I think that's the other thing. Even showing up, we we all have our own. We're, we've gathered our own feedback from our teams. Your feedback from your team might be different. Do they miss the office culture? Was the office more about camaraderie? Was that why people were showing up? Was it those accidental interactions that they're missing? Was it those long innovation sessions? Do they just love not being in the office? Period. Has it released them from a, a feeling of toxicity that was that existed and so I, I think the benefit um, feedback is is ammunition. It is it is context to help you make the best wisest decisions. You know, my comment on that is I once spoke to a very intelligent female about change management. That unfortunately, not unfortunately, but that was Holly. I hope I'm not going to steal what you're going to say, Holly. <laughs> Something Holly said just nailed me, and it was about we were, it was about change management, which is relevant right now. Uh, and the premise of the story was that she was saying, look, before I implement change with my team and those who surround me, I talk about what I'm concerned with first. Before I ask for your feedback, let me tell you what's keeping me up at night about this situation. And Holly, I, I really took that, you know, to heart, not just I don't know, 10,000 people, but, but in micro situations. So, hey, everybody. And, and even though my feedback was, I need to make sure I don't move too fast and, and you know, really slow down to talk about the group because that, that is what worries me about how we're reentering here and making people comfortable to go, wow, Ron has concerns as well. And so thank you, Holly. When I, when this came about and it was like, everybody needs to work from home right now. I was not a person that ever worked from home and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to work from home. This is terrible. I, I'm at home and that's my sacred home space. And I don't, I don't want to work from home. I like going to the office and being away. I'm not going to be able to concentrate. My husband's going to need things. My son's going to need things. There's too many distractions. I thought it was going to be the most horrible thing in the world. 
And I got home and I have absolutely loved working from home. It was the complete opposite of what I thought would happen, which goes back to something that I remind myself of all the time is I'm always a person that's trying to predict what's happening, like how things are going to happen. And I get taught over and over again that I have no idea. I can't predict that. I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. The only thing I can do is share my feelings so people people feel comfortable that they're not alone, that even, even people making decisions have questions. They're people too, and they have the same concerns and then talk about working on it together. And some of the things that we heard from our surveys is this hybrid model. So we've been thinking about what does a hybrid model look like? And one of the things we've been thinking of is what if we distributed the cost of an actual building and all of the expenses that come along with having a campus to the different circles within our organization? And then those circles decide how they want to gather. Do they want to come back, you know, on campus and they could use that money to pay rent on campus or they could rent some other space if they want to do that, or they could use that money to invest in the work that they're working on and then meet at houses or stay working from home. So really giving many more options of what being together and gathering and going to a workplace means versus a workplace is just our campus. And so that's kind of where we are right now in trying to think through what is what is a workplace in the new normal and how can we support a hybrid model that get people what they need to be able to make it through these difficult times in the places that they're comfortable in doing so. One thing you said that I'm interested in that, that like I'm just reflecting on is like when this first happened compared to today, how different employees feel right now about working from home. Many of us entered into like we, we, we were in one worldview where we like loved the office environment or we're just used to the office environment. It was it was safe and comfortable. And like I remember that very first week I was listening to this podcast of a, a psychologist and she said, watch yourself over the next 30 days, you will be stunned by the neuroplasticity of what, how quickly your brain can create a new normal. And we are starting to enter into this season where people, I think, are thinking about what new normal looks like. And employees who originally were like, oh, I'd never want this. I, I was on, uh, doing a one-on-one with one of our employees this week. And she was like, initially, I was just like terrified of working from home. And now she's like, I like it. I go on hikes every day for 30 minutes at lunch. And, and I'm used to it. And I'm amazed how much more productive I am. And I didn't realize how often I was distracted and I didn't realize how much I actually love doing work, like the, like actually producing the work that I get to produce. And so um, it is, I do think it's, and every organization is different, but what's happened after the first 30 days, I think has been kind of surprising how quickly people have been more willing to say, actually, maybe the old, the old ways of what I'm trying to go back to. Ron, if you want to kick us off. Do you have any thoughts or best practices about communicating all of this to employees and not only the executive to employee, but ensuring that managers feel equipped to help, you know, each employee that is going to have a different feeling about the decisions being made? I think we covered some of this, which is just giving space for people to, to bring up their concerns. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to give you the five things, email it, and do all these things. I think it's more about, you know, because our cultures are being tested. And when I say cultures, you know, you look at that Pat Lynchioni, five dysfunctions of the team. And the first is, is trust. Not that I trust that Adam's going to steal my wallet, but it's, do I trust that I can be open about my concerns with that? And that that's a safe place for me to be. And so 
we need to make sure, I'm just going to stick there, that the organization, the culture, and the communication lines and the individuals feel safe that they can talk about that. And, and by the way, we owe that as leaders to bring it out. I think that let's not make assumption, oh, this is a safe place. You should be able to say what you want. I think some of us will make that mistake. And we owe it to individuals because, you know, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we don't know that we don't know. That just kept getting bigger. I don't know if you saw that. You, you know, just to piggyback off that, because this is really, if you think about pre-COVID, through our data, the number one issue we saw in all of America, like the entire workforce was a rapidly growing workforce at the time with minimal unemployment and a lot of line level employees got promoted into first time management for the first time, had minimal soft skills development and training, and they started wreaking havoc on the organization. They started managing people in ways how they thought they wanted to be managed, but not how their team needed managed. And really at the root of that is, you know, and I mean, we have the, the data backs us up, but it's that the psychological safety that you're talking about, it's that two-way relationship. And then immediately you add this remote component and that trust is fundamentally broken. And so now when we try to get into a new era, it's, so how do we gather effective feedback? That feedback that's so critical when we have a, we're, we're in, so, you know, in environments where there are lots of people on this webinar who are in environments like that, where there is toxicity that hasn't been resolved between just that employee to manager relationship. And so I think by solving that, I think that's one, I think that's one thing is just kind of naming that. The other, Nicole, to go back to your question though, that I was thinking of is as a leader, like how do you commute, like communicate back to your team too? One of the things I think is by peeling back the curtain on your decision-making, like the example that Ron said about Holly, that's really the key. I have found employees are usually very resilient to follow along or to, to be like, I understand if you give them context. What doesn't work is saying, here is my decision, period. What does work is I've taken your input. I've taken the input of this, this research. And so here's where I am. And here's, you know, here's how I'm thinking about the situation. And you'll see some surprising flexibility if you just show transparency and authenticity around some of these pretty critical I mean, some of the decisions we make over the next couple of months really will dictate what it feels like to be an employee of the companies we work at, right? Because we're, we're kind of, there's a lot of wiggle right now where we're in kind of the interim season, but we are going to enter into a new normal and people will be making employment decisions in the new normal about where, where they call home and what they're willing to call home. And I think honesty is a huge, is a huge piece of any communication and pure transparency and honesty. So like when this stuff first happened, I think every business questioned what's going to happen to our business. Like what, what is going to happen if everything's shut down and nobody's making any money, how are you going to buy, how are you going to buy luxury shoes and sunglasses? Like what does that mean for Zappos? Right. Um, and I think a lot of businesses had the same questions and I know employees aren't dumb. They knew like what's going to happen with this. And I spent a lot of my time talking to the employees that I work with directly about, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think a lot of time managers or leadership want to say, everything's going to be okay. We got it. You don't have to worry about it. I spent a lot of my time saying, listen, I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is we're going to have to change. And so right now we can work on what that change is and work on how we're going to show up and think of new ways to do things right now and focus our energies on that. And we have a much better chance of survival if we do that than if we just sit here waiting for somebody else to come and say, it's going to be okay. This is what's going to happen. And so I was just very, like, I didn't try to placate them 
with answers. I was just like, I don't know either, but I do know that if we just sit here and don't do anything, then yeah, you're right. None of us are going to have jobs because the company's going to die. So <laughs> we need to do something new. And I think the honesty piece and the transparency piece and just being real and authentic is super important in any communication. How are you thinking about coaching and development in a world where many employees are at home, whether that's managers or line level or even executives? Do any of you have thoughts on that? High level, you know, one thing we've tried to do, and, and, and it's been a roller coaster. And I think that because things have shifted so fast, I mean, when this started, you, I was nervous to make a decision that was one day away, one half a day away. It was flying through. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so, you know, originally we started off with our daily huddle being on Zoom. And we started with, how are you feeling? We had done that before. But that was a really strong way for us to connect at a different level. We would start with trivia daily just to break the ice. Our daily huddle went from twice a day. So daily huddle check-in to what was your priority and then a check-in at the end of the day. Every week we would check and say, is that still relevant? Do we still need these things? How are you feeling about that? And then sure enough, we dropped the secondary check-in because it felt like micromanagement. So the flexibility is very important, you know, I think overall. And then I think when it comes to coaching, we just haven't changed our practices. Holly, I have to go back to you for a sec on coaching. Is that okay? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Holly's been so unbelievably uh, uh, influential to even our culture here in the past and today and for our, our customers. And so, you know, one thing that Holly said before, we, we, I used to actually have a cadence of coaching and we pivoted based on a conversation I had with Holly, which said, look, you know, at Zappos, we essentially leave it up to the individual because individuals want to be coached how they want to be coached. Some are looking for that weekly. Some just want to know that it's safe to come if they have an issue. So we've just checked in with individuals and kept the cadence that we had based on what they were looking for. I think that's really important. It's one of, for me and for any manager I had as I grew through my career, it was really important to me that the manager understood me and how I worked in how I learned. So one of the things that I've always tried to do is what does that person need to be successful? And I have different people. I have people that need a one-on-one -on -one every week that need to talk through the stuff that they're doing. And they just want to talk about it because they answer all their own questions. I actually don't really do anything but sit there. But they they need that conversation to be able to talk through their thoughts. And so that's what they want. They want to have that. I, I talked to somebody, I ran through it. I'm now more confident to move it forward. There's other people that don't want me anywhere near what they're doing. And they just want they just want to go and they don't want to come to me until they hit a roadblock and they need advice on how to get around a roadblock. So for those people, I just make myself available to say, here's, here's my number, just call me or text me anytime. Oh, we can talk about, you know, we can talk about whatever it is. So. I think from any any coaching and any, any training, too, I think it's important to ha remember that people don't learn in a one-size-fits-all category. So a lot of times people like read this book, but if you're not somebody who learns from reading a book, what is the other medium that you can have? Is there a video that explains, like, is there a TED Talk that explains book because that resonates more with somebody and they learn better? Or is there you know, put together a book club type thing where you can talk about it. And that's how people learn better. So I think it's important to remember people aren't one size fits all. So we have to think about and everything all the way down to training, how to make sure we hit them in the place that they can learn the best because that's how they're going to be the most productive. 
You know, I'll add to that, that, that this has also kind of opened up what, what I believe is, is more options. So in most environments, that coaching conversation was, was face-to-face. Now it's moved to Zoom. Let's, let's, you know, in some cases, I found that Zoom hasn't been as comfortable for people. Um, they want to come back and meet face-to-face, or they like Zoom, or, or the phone is actually better for them. And so these are things I wouldn't have thought of before. I think we took for granted, and it's actually added some other options uh, to get closer to people and, and to provide a safe lane to do those things. In. Adam, someone asked us, what is the best method to measure employee engagement in this new normal? Oh, <laughs> well, I'm slightly biased. A couple of your main, the main tenets to stand on is one, a good, good engagement measurement shouldn't be about satisfaction, like is the person going to quit? Are they going to recommend their friend? But rather, are we measuring the intrinsic motivation of our team? Are we getting people to show up and bring their best self to work every day? And if we are not, what things are we doing as a leadership team that is blocking them for bringing their best self? The second is, are we measuring in a way that is frequent? So there's like a rhythm to it? Or do we have continual feedback loops? Not do we ask on occasion? Do we have continual feedback loops? That is one way you create safety, by the way. By asking at the same frequency with regularity, you can create safety. Does it overburden the HR team? There are HR teams right now that or people ops teams that are stressed and have a lot of work to do and good engagement measurement with a partner should lead to clarity, not clutter, right? So we want to make sure that it actually gives priority on where do I focus? Even back to that question on coaching relationships, good data should point you in the direction of what people need extra help or what priority initiatives need to rise to the top. And then, and then I think the last is a partnership of just someone else, an outsider who's not so close to it, right? Because when you have someone who can just say the truth, which is what you're really, with good measurement, what you're really after, this is very different than kind of the, we're trying to win an award, we're trying to get in the news. Those are all super helpful for brand. But there's this other side of it, which is just like leadership teams need to hear the truth. And when leadership teams hear the truth, it can unlock the entire company to really do exceptional things. So that's my quick, that's my quick riff on that. Well, and I think that also transitions to another question we had, um, Holly and Ron, if you want to jump in on this, but is someone was asking about how to envision employee engagement in this new season. And I think what Adam said about satisfaction versus engagement has become so clear now because the things that people used to call engagement, like kegerators and ping pong tables and snacks and happy hours, and things that required the office, the, the perk, have literally fallen away and are probably not coming back to your point about social faces cannot look the same even when we do go back. These kind of false engagement drivers are gone and we're left with the core of what engagement should have always been. And I think that's rising to the top. But curious, you know, on, on the measurement side and just how you're thinking about engagement, what are your thoughts on, you know, the strategies you're looking for in this new normal? So we're actually taking a, a different look on this. So we have spent, it's something we've wanted to do for a while, but we've spent the last, finally got tech resources to help us and have spent the last couple of years building out an actual platform that we call Engage. And the idea behind the platform is that it's a, it's a platform where people can go to do all the things that a lot of different platforms do on their own. We brought them together so they can connect. We focus a lot on peer-to-peer recognition. So now they can recognize their peers from a digital side. Um, We have a wishes program, a coworker bonus program. But the biggest piece that I think is different is we created a marketplace 
And what that does is we take the money that we spent on what we thought was what engaged people. And what we're going to do is we're going to distribute that to the employees in terms of internal currency. And all the internal currency are going to be backed by real dollars. It's backed by the cost of all of those things that we thought we were going to do. And we're going to put that in the hands of the employees. And then we're going to put up in the marketplace all the different things that are the things that we thought engaged people to see what they interact with and what they purchase to be the stuff that they want to do. And then that way we know what's not working. We know where to invest more in. So we know what people are really looking at and what they want. It gives employees a better understanding of what all the things are that are out there and they can vote with their actual dollars. And it also opens up opportunities for employees to get involved in the engagement side because they can open their own storefront. And then we're organized in circles. So their circles in our company could earn actual money by the internal currency that's coming into their circle from the different things that they're participating in from a culture and engagement standpoint. So we're kind of shifting and looking at it differently to really be less of tell me what you want and I know what's best for you versus here's a platform. The world is yours. What do you actually want? And again, smaller teams today, so less complexity. But I don't know if you read a Nine Lies About Work from Marcus Buckingham, but one thing that uh, he shares in there is, is kind of this employee feedback. They did a bunch of research at ADP and, and still do forms of EMPS, net promoter, promoter scores internally. Um, but I like what he said as far as getting the feedback, and maybe this is, maybe you touch on this, Adam, but i.e., look, hey, Ron, from scale one to 10, rate how good of a communicator Nicole is. And he's saying they're not objective raters. You know, we, we, we project how we feel we are. There's so much data that's, that, that skews that versus, you know, hey, Ron, at a scale one to 10, do you feel safe when you speak to Nicole? Do you feel excited after a meeting with Nicole? So I can rate my feelings. And I think at a time like this, we should be thinking about that is getting people, when you get that type of feedback, be very careful on how it's delivered and the, the um, what you're asking, right? Because you can get wrong data very quickly. I thought that was well said, and we really thought long and hard about that. We certainly know how we're feeling as individuals. And so I think we should be asking questions about how people are feeling. One other thing, just a little bit different way to think about also with what you were saying, like uh, office was never about kegerators or thing, you know, perks or whatever it may be, is I really believe this situation fast forwarded all the science and learning that was already taking place by about 10 years. And like engagement never was about those happy hours, office perks, or even even pay and benefits. If you're talking about what motivates a person, but too often the office environment in the previous era was used as a command and control environment where we were dictating the success of our people based on when they showed up, when they left and how they how they looked while they were in the office. And I think what we're getting to now is more two fundamental things for an employee. One is, do I have absolute clarity on what my top priorities are like do I know truly what's expected of me and when I deliver those results is it celebrated like that's one and the other is am I motivated to do that and I think it's very it's very elemental but it's amazing how sometimes the office environment clouds those two really elemental truths I know what's most important for me and I'm motivated to do what's most important for me and then as a manager, I think a third component, when you manage someone, do, do they have those two things? And 
what can I do to create that environment and unblock anything that's blocking them from accomplishing those things? I'm going to take a kind of a 180 in the conversation we are having. But um, one of the questions that we were submitted ahead of time was talking about how to properly vet candidates virtually and make sure that you're getting a, a good sense of who they are and whether or not they're a good fit for your company culture when you can't actually meet them in person. So, Adam, I know you have actually talked a little bit about this in your upcoming book about how to really get good culture fit. But then, Holly, I'm also interested because you guys do have quite the number of employees and a lot of different functions. And so I'm assuming you guys have had to do a little bit of this already. Yeah. So for us, we we entered the digital space from a recruiting standpoint a while ago when it comes to Skype interviews or Zoom interviews and things like that, because we have our recruiting process is very long and involved. And so we've for a long time tried to figure out ways to make it not quite as cumbersome. So we have started things that started different digital processes, more game-like things that as people apply for jobs, actually will take them out of the process if some of the pieces there don't fit. And so we have some of that set up already. Plus, we do most of our initial screenings through Skype or, or Zoom or one of those mediums. So we have probably two or three phone you know, Zoom calls before they come, before they ever came on campus anyway. The big piece for us is when they get to that point on campus, what our recruiters try to do the best is to make sure that if it's one or two people, they are already culture fits because we've taken them through the process and we know what those pieces are. Do they align with our values? Do they understand what our values are? Do they know who we are as a company through the calls that we have or the processes that we have? So when they get to the face-to-face interviews, it's just basically like which one feels better. <laughs> you know, that's what the face to face is, is for. Like, do, do they feel like, you know, it's a fit? Do they feel like it's the right person? That works probably about 70% of the time. Obviously, it's not 100%, but it works 70% of the time. We haven't hired a ton of people since this switch happened. So um, we haven't had the really, we haven't had the hurdle yet of, what is what does that face to face situation look like? Because we weren't we weren't really bringing in folks during the time that we moved home remotely. We are just starting to to start those interviews and that process. And so right now we're we're going to see if the digital system can work all the way through. Can you sit through a full day of interviews? Because that's basically what our our face-to-face interviews are, is a full day of interviews with multiple different people in the company, including a lunch, including a happy hour, including all that stuff. Does that stuff translate into an on-screen relationship? And is that something that can happen that actually get us what we need? Now, we do our own happy hours on screen. Um, we're still doing that type of stuff. We still do team buildings on screen. We still do lunches together, you know, on screen and everything else. So that's working from a team building aspect for teams that are already in play. But, you know, I think the next couple of months are going to tell us if that actually works for a recruiting environment. So we're, we're in the middle of testing what that looks like. But if someone, especially right now, has to do a virtual or video interview, and they have technical difficulties and they either can't make it or whatever. Does that influence your impression of them as an employee? <laughs> I mean, for us, no, it doesn't. I, I think everybody understands the complication. We'll be on like board meeting calls 
and people's Wi-Fi will go out or they're getting feedback or they pop in and out and they cut out when they're talking. And so there's a lot of different things that we understand what happens. And for us in any situations, it's more about the resiliency of, are you going to work through all of that stuff and make it happen? Or did you just give up? I think that's more of the piece that would be a deciding factor on our side. I, I do feel like where there's opportunity in this like fully remote video based interviewing is is bias where if you do quantitative scoring with your with your hiring and you're reverse engineering questions that are getting at DNA fit. Um, it, I do think it it has potential. I'm we're still very early in this, so I don't know. But to not, you know, in that face to face interview, essentially, you make your snap judgment, and then you're just reconfirming your bias the whole time. And I, I, I have to really work on that for myself. And I think it gives you some opportunity to create a little bit more like, what is the substance, which is very reflective of this entire experience, like people who are remote. Now, what is the substance of your work? <laughs> that is what I'm after. Not how, not how it, you know, when we're sitting side by side, what that experience is like, but what is the substance of your work? What is the substance of your interview questions? And if we can't collaborate and ask questions and go back and forth over Zoom right now, and I can't make it like, that's what it's going to be like once you start, you know? So, I mean, I feel like that part is, is pretty critical, you know, and, um, but, you know, still learning for sure. But I would, I would think I'm optimistic that it's, it's not going to be a big deal that it, that it'll be relatively like we're getting so used to doing work remote and that now this is how we're building relationships. Nicole, you and I work together all the time. I haven't seen you in quite some time. Used to see you every single day. I know. Look forward to look forward to seeing you again. Don't want to say that. I just, but we, we work, we have done, a lot of really amazing things and having never seen each other face to face over the last three months, you know? And so I, I do think you can do that same. I don't know why you couldn't hold yourself to that same standard with the interview process too. A couple comments on that. We do that. You know, we do screening uh, and onboarding for our customers and we've been doing this for a long time. Our head of business development works in the Ukraine and he was hired during this, sorry, not during COVID, but with this process, we didn't meet him. And so we're certainly used to this. And a couple of things we do, one is we kind of ask killer questions. And we learned this actually uh, from Southwest Airlines. And killer questions are like, let's get this over with quickly because we all know in the application process, can you legally work in this country? Do you have access to a vehicle because you need one? Whatever that is, we have, we already have killer questions or we call it return ticket home. And so in all of our business, we have these type of questions that are non-starters for our culture, for our business. You know, for, for Southwest Airlines, that question for frontline baggage handlers are, are you open to working overtime? Because planes are late sometimes. If you're not open to working overtime, it's over. It doesn't matter. So they add that to the question. So that, that's one. The other thing is, and we've been doing this for a long time, is there is a huge advantage, I'll say, to the data collection of pre-questions in some cases during an online screening. And look, my, my company, uh, my other company is called Vita Living, and we do affordable communities. We have about 400 units here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we're hiring an accountant. And we asked a pre-entry question to get to the interview stage was almost like a case study. Look, we're having challenges collecting late rent. Here's the current situation. This is the lay of the land. We, we spell it out. How would you solve this problem? And I can tell you, we had 38 very smart people solve a problem that keep it, that's keeping up, us up at night today. 
and only four made it through to the interview, but we use that information. And so let's lean into this. You know, there are certainly ways to lean in. And the other thing we really push our clients is, you know, if you're developing online testing in a process, make sure the user experience, go to design thinking. What is the user experience that you're, call them A players, people you can't live without, that they they should sign off and say, I really enjoyed this. I loved that journey. And so this is the right, you know, for people that, that similar to me will probably enjoy this as well. So the UX experience in this format, I think, is very, very important. So leaning into that. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we, we, we have done some hiring during this. And one thing that popped out, uh, Holly, you know, Amanda, uh, my assistant, she, we were trying to think, how do we lean into onboarding? Because we always have this social thing. And what we started to do for the last two hires that have been over the last, I guess, six weeks is during the onboarding, we added this interview process where uh, it was actually Amanda who led the charge, who did a 15 minute interview and the entire team watched that interview. And I'll tell you, I was drinking a glass of wine on a Friday night. And I just turned that on. I'm like, I've learned more about that person than I would have learned after, you know, social gatherings where I might have a 10 second conversation surface level. It was awesome. It was just we really leaned into it. And I think did it did a good job of trying to, you know, Zappos is this is all always talking about. It's just, well, how do you figure out how to embrace some of this thing and the, these changes and, and hold them closer? That's awesome. The last question that someone asked is just what has been the biggest surprise for you personally um, or for your colleagues during this time? And how are you incorporating that into the future business strategy? And Ron, why don't you take us off for this one? I, I think um, just the, the first thought that comes to mind is that through Zoom or meet and go, that, that it really has brought equality back. You know, I take a lot of room up in a boardroom and this has kind of put everybody back on or two, maybe for the first time, a level playing field. And I think that's added a level of comfort in some organizations. But one thing that it's also done is, and someone, we have this uh, scaling culture podcast and a guy named Will Scott talked about this. I love this. And we've leaned into this too, is for the first time we can see behind the curtains. So i.e. when people are home, you know, if Adam, you're my boss, I was probably never at your home before. But for the first time, I can meet your dog, your pet, your, your, your children, your, your partner, look at your, you have a weird Star Wars collection that I think I read about, you know, so I could see that. So, yeah. uh, you know, so you could really get to know someone in, and, and lean into that versus, you know, there, you couldn't see that before. Right. And I think that you can learn more about people in this environment than we could before. And so that, that is something that I don't have the answer to how we continue to do that. We are thinking about it, but we certainly saw that's something new. Awesome, Polly. For me, um, when I was in the office, everything, I was always ended up being involved in everything that was happening because I was sitting there, I was in a meeting or people booked a meeting because they wanted, what do you think we should do with this? What do you think we should do with that? And so a lot of my time was spent in that type of environment, where as to when we shifted from a work from home environment, what I've seen across the organization is people have really owned their roles more. And because it's not it's not as easy to walk up to a desk or walk over to a conference room and say, can I talk to you real quick? It's not as easy to do that. So people have stepped up in their roles a lot more and just owning their pieces, which help their learning and development but it's also freed me up from those types of things. So I can start working on different things that I've always wanted to work on, 
but I just haven't had time. So they sat on that list over here. Like one day I'll get to that one day I'll get to that where now I get to do that stuff, which makes my work more exciting and more inviting. And so people I think are learning more because they're learning through actual experience. I get to start working on all of those things that I'm passionate about and excited to do versus being just in advisory meetings. And I think that's good for everybody. And that's a big piece that I really like about working with them. Yeah, I love that. And I think it actually ties back to the question about professional development from Bonnie is that that in itself is allowing both the employees and you to expand your skill set. So I think that's, that's really cool. Um, and then Adam, do you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, I think the thing I've learned is that all leaders, no matter what level they are in the business, are feel, like they feel uncertain and they don't know the answers. And I think uh, one thing I'm learning through, about myself is that you don't have to, it, it's, the answers aren't always on Google. Like you, like learning how to take inputs, but then give myself space from the inputs in order to make wise decisions that I will feel confident and stand behind is like been a, I've been stretched in a way I was never stretched prior to this experience. And it's really helped me grow I think as a person and gain like confidence in my own voice and in my own decision making through this. Those are really great lessons. Thank you all for your perspectives, your vulnerability, your honesty. Um, it was a really great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us this season. And hopefully you found a couple new perspectives and a few great ideas to implement at your company. We have an exciting series coming up in just the next couple of months, but in the meantime, please continue to join us weekly for our Bite Size Insights content. I also invite you to share with me your questions or challenges that your organization is discussing. We create better workplaces and do our best work when we all come together. You can email me anytime at Nicole at Amplify.com or head to Amplify.com slash questions and let us know what's on your mind. That's E-M-P-L-I-F-Y dot com slash questions.